Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Well, welcome, friends. This is another edition of On the Rails at KTN 106.9 on your FM dial, or anytime as a, as a podcast. And uh, I'm your I'm your conductor, Forrest Whitman, and uh, we are pretty excited about what. Well, I'm especially excited to have with us a representative of the Denver South Park and Pacific Railroad, which, as we know, is hasn't been around much since the 1920s, but it's still there. And uh, we we have with us Andrew Zimmerman. Now, Andrew Zimmerman was um, well. He was a part. He was a part of of a group for a while there that that built some of the rail out here. He is a representative of a very interesting group, I think, called the Como Project. Which is preserving and, and and interpreting the rail heart, the rail heritage, really of all of South Park, Colorado, not just Como, but all of South Park. So, so welcome, Andrew. How are you this morning? I'm very, I'm very well, sir. And you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I understand you were cutting wood yesterday. Yes, I go out um, every fall and cut a lot of wood for a. Uh old historical uh, mining hotel i operate in uh, alma colorado nice. and we go out and scour the forest and do a little informal forestry and um burn our own wood dead there in the big back room so we have sources of heat no matter what happens yeah. wow which is probably pretty important in alma because alma that's that's way up there what is it ten thousand feet something like that it's uh, one of the highest uh, townships in the uh, country or in the lower 48. We're about 10,500, 600 feet. It's already been getting down to around uh, 38 degrees. I haven't seen any frost on the ground yet, but we can all feel winter coming. Oh, boy. It's coming. Winter is coming. Well, this this train is pulled um, by, uh, um, <laughs> by Rick White. He's the engineer up in the front of the front of this train, and and without without Rick, we this train wouldn't go anywhere. Is I I I think I can almost see him around the bend up there. 
Yeah, thank you for that introduction, Forrest. And it uh, looks like clear sailing today. I have my assistant, Juanita, up here. She's driving, so I'm, I'm just looking at the local paper, got my feet up on the dash and listening to you talk with Andrew and very happy to have him as a guest. And uh, thank you for that. I may uh, pipe in if I have some questions as you gentlemen get your conversation going. Thank you. Well, I hope you will pipe in because back here in the caboose, uh, We've, we've got a little bit of fire going in the uh, old coal stove back here. Uh, we're, it, 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 even though the caboose has got a little bit of insulation, it's still getting getting kind of chilly at night. And Andrew, how high is Como, where, where your uh, groundhouse is? Well, the, the Denver South Park and Pacific came out of Denver, and they hadn't had this great view that this would be their big um, – industrial center to uh to fix their to fix their uh, um engines and to do a lot of work for as a regional hub and como is about nine seven nine thousand seven hundred feet a little under 10 a little windier than alma but they picked a high alpine plane to um put their hub at boy hey, it's it's high up here and and uh, it's it's a well steeped absolutely steeped in colorado history um, and, and one, one me, the other thing, well, too, go, go ahead, uh, Rick, uh, pop so in. They had a roundhouse at Como? Um, yeah, well, the, I, I, I'm a working member of the Denver South Park and Pacific. I'm certainly not the greatest uh, historian of them all, but I come from a different point. My folks bought a home here in Como in the middle of the 60s. So I sort of grew up around the roundhouse and I'm sort of seeped in a different kind of knowledge at that. I haven't I, ha I have not been to the great symposiums, though I'd like to go. I am not a fanatic about how many rivets are on it, each rail plate and everything else. <laughs> I love the I love the I love more of the history. So. Denver, they worked their way out of Denver. They had a small shop there, but they were thinking big, the Denver South Park and Pacific, and they had decided to make this a regional um, a regional uh, repair center, and it was much bigger than any rail yard they ever had in Denver. And as they moved out in the 30s and took the rail down and became more defunct, they did have a smaller shop down there, but this was their big, this was their big industrial um, repair shop for this area. For South Park, on their way towards the Pacific. Pretty exciting, and if you get a sense of that, it's there. There's a there are a lot of rail miles through there, all across South Park, uh, all the way up to uh, Boreas Pass at the top, then down the other side of Boreas Pass to uh, Breckenridge. Then in Breckenridge, they would continue on uh, up, up again, again some steep grades. Uh, all the way and well, and actually all the way to Leadville, and uh, Leadville was pretty important to them too because that that's where they were hoping to get a lot of freight out of Leadville. And what what other things that, uh, just to think about is the fact that there was competition. They didn't just waltz. They didn't just waltz into Leadville and say, "Let's give us give us some freight." Not not hardly because the Denver, Rio Grande, and Western was already pretty deep into Leadville. And, um, and that's about the time that the, the three-way railroad war happened, the war between uh, Palmers, Denver and Rio Grande Western, uh, between the Denver South Park Pacific 
which at that point, its leading officer was uh, the was uh, Evans, who, uh, of course, later on became uh, Governor Evans, um, or not much later on, about then. And then you also had the the uh, threat, so to speak, of the Midland Railroad, which was coming straight across from um, starting out really in Colorado Springs and coming straight across. And the Midland route, I'm not as much on that. About, but so you had really three big railroads all competing. They all wanted to get the gold and silver, but mainly silver, out of uh, out of Leadville and um, to sell in Leadville. So, uh, wow, there, there, that must have been a railroad war uh, when it when it took place and uh, kind of culminated in 1881, that segment of the war. But but go ahead. Uh, let's 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 jump back into this history a little bit more. Sure. Um, I yeah the the uh, around eighteen seventy eight eighteen seventy nine is when the Denver South Park and Pacific raced across South Park and started the plans for the Roundhouse. I think in eighteen eighty one everyone says the big um the big building boom in the Como roundhouse section was uh, done then. Uh, the, I think it was the Denver Rio Grande, as you had said, they were racing up the, uh, racing up uh, the I-70 corridor as we know it now, but up Clear Creek. And they got slowed down in Georgetown trying to build a loop above themselves like three times. So that slowed their advance. And then that enabled um, in around 1881 there, a little later, that, that allowed the Denver South Park and Pacific to successfully make it over Breas Pass, named after the famous god, uh, Greek god of the North Wind. Some surveyor there had an idea of what it was like and how windy it was. And then they got down into Breckenridge, Dillon, Keystone, and then up 10 Mile Canyon and over to um, Leadville. There were some other trains sort of at Leadville also. The Midland, I think, had a, an agreement there. But that sort of stopped the impetus of the other railroad between uh, trying to get up past uh, Silver Plume there. So that's what, that's what you're referring to when you said that that section of the war was sort of uh, sealed there when the Denver South Park and Pacific made a, uh, a good move into um, over, over Breas Pass and into the Keystone area. And Dylan and, and all of that. Some of that's now been covered by the Dylan Dam and other stuff. But we still still tell stories around here of how Keystone was a great lettuce growing region mm. for Denver. And they brought a lot of green vegetables all summer long down since it was so high and cool up here for them. And that um as you said, a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh commerce and everything was done by the rails to get up to all these towns and get into Leadville, which was the jackpot at the time. Leadville I, was the yeah. What I found yeah. really interesting from my viewpoint about this is that we all we all forget that they had to keep these engines warm all winter long in this roundhouse. So and if they ever had if you had an engine out on the rails in the wintertime and it derailed or got stuck or something and it froze, that engine was out for the season. They it'd be tough for them to get it back. So this was really it was really sort of a lifeline to have these areas and re and refueling and places like that to keep these um to keep these operating through some of these really, really tough winters when they were starting out. 
So let me uh, just uh, step in here for a little clarity on that point. Um, so if a engine was out, uh, say, in the middle of South Park and broke down for some reason um, and it became cold, there's no restarting that engine until it's warm again. Pretty much. I mean, if you if they broke down, it was something minor mechanical, they would probably try to keep a fire in that firebox I and see. make sure and make sure the boiler didn't freeze. Uh -huh. If the boiler freeze and cracked and broke, there was no antifreeze at the time, then they would have then that train would have been um tough to move. They may get another they may have got another rail another engine to um to pull it and get it back, but oh, yeah. that big thing they had to keep in mind. And in the t time of the winter when they lost one and there was a a, de a derailment, they would wait till the next spring usually. They would have to uh, dig a spur line down to it, excavate a spur line, find a way to hoist it onto that little spur line, get it back, uh, get it back usually from the downhill side on the tracks the next spring and um, and get it back to where they could fix it. So there was a little hit and go, and that may have been why there were so many so many uh, locomotives there too, because they may have expected to have a couple go down during the winter. Sure. Thank sure. you. Yeah. And this was very profitable stuff. We, well, I think we kind of forget that when the railroad wars were going on, I mean, for instance, uh, the, the main focus for the Denver Rio Grande was their fight with, um, well, their fight with the, with all of the West coast money that was coming in on the, on, on on Rick's favorite railroad, which which was the Santa Fe, uh, they called uh, that the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad Forest. Uh, oh, let's be a little respectful to Rick's <laughs> ancestors here on the Atchison, Topeka, and, and the Santa Fe Railroad. But um, certainly that fight, uh, in a way, stopped in in uh, eighty one when they uh, when they. Uh, signed the Treaty of Boston, called that because it was signed in Boston um, uh, speculators' rooms in, there, in, in where, where the the big bondholders of all three of, of the railroads got together and talked about this, and for a while did have a treaty, and for a while left each other alone, but none of these none of these treaties held in a way. In, in a sense, all of these railroads continued to fight with each other. And they, this wasn't subtle fighting. They they would um, wait till they thought they could have the opportunity to grab a bunch of it. And then suddenly they would charge almost nothing. Or they would wait till it looked like the other people were in that spot. And then the other people would come in and they would maybe double or triple their rates. And you talk about inflation these, these days. I don't know that these days in the feds are trying to stop inflation. Well, um, the inflation back then could be, could happen by as few as three men. That is, if you looked at the three major uh, players, and I've, I've got their pictures up here. I mean, these guys didn't just own these railroads. They own the railroads. They own the people. Uh, certainly, uh, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at General Palmer. I mean, he has a steely look in his eye. He's he's sort of. Uh, I, I'd hold this up and show it. Except that you, you won't. Well, you, you can't. Our listeners won't be able to see it. But uh, you've got William Jackson Palmer on one on one side. We've got Collis P. Huntington 
of the Central Pacific and Southern Pacific on the other side. And then you got Edward Patient Ripley of the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. See, I said it right. Uh, and But all in the background behind all this was the ultra-secretive, strong-armed, one-man powerhouse of Jay Gold. And Jay Gold was the he was the behind-the-scenes operator who tried to, eventually tried to, and I think maybe did in a way, take over all this railroad traffic so that there would be only one railroad, and that was Jay Gould's railroad. So I don't know if you want to comment on any of that railroad war history or just uh, kind of move on a little well, I can give you a um, – we might want to re redirect this here just a little. I can give you a quick sure. view of my idea of the history of South Park, and then I can give you an idea of what the what it was like in Como when I uh, came here on the weekends as a kid and um, saw the how this the Como Rail Project has evolved. And if you have some other questions about this, feel free to chime in. I oh, think yeah, lot, we will. I think a lot of people don't realize that um, – in the summer of 1859, gold was found in Colorado. There was a little depression previous to that. A lot of people had had their chance to be a minor 49er out in San Francisco. So word got out that there was uh, gold in Colorado. It was the Pikes Peak Gold Rush because most of the cartographers only had um, a Pikes Expedition of earlier as a reference order with their maps to say, hey, this is the general area. And Pikes Peak was, Pikes Peak was on a lot of those maps. A lot of historians say that right outside of uh, Como, where the rail goes down a mile or two outside of Como, gold was first found in uh, the Terriel Creek, where was one of the first places it was found, and that was like 1859. And then um, in the, that winter, word got out about it. And then in the 1860s, in the next few years, you had at least 25, 30, maybe 50,000 people come across the plains and inhabit Colorado when previous to 1859, 1860, you may have had 12 um, non-Indian trappers that were working the area around, around Colorado. South Park was very famous for its beaver. So all of a sudden that big push happened and then it developed the ranchers were able to support the miners and then bigger commerce came in as with the railroads to come in and serve a lot of these areas there were smelters in alma there was a and and elsewhere and that's how they first converted the ore but then it became with better smelting processes to get all the minerals out of the all the metals and other minerals out of the ore the rich ores your, some of your best bets were to get it down to the de to Denver to be smelted. And some of that super rich ore I was reading was actually maybe sent back east to even better smelters because it had enough richness. So that's sort of the that's sort of the way uh, Park County sort of filled in. And before before the railroad came in, there were some stage stops, a lot of, over Georgia Pass, over Hoosier Pass, over a lot of this was a lot of a lot of freight teamsters and high, high charges for that. And then the big economic um, powerhouse and, you know, uh, the, the scale of being able to move boxcars of equipment and everything across came in with the railroad. They brought in everything from um, there's like the Como Cemetery, the Alma Cemetery. A lot of these cemeteries have a bunch of gravestones that were uh, cut from the Midwest and brought in by rail 
that stone is not doesn't weather as well as uh, some of the harder stone here because it's a much older. And it made gravestones that were easy to um, write epitaphs on, but some of those are starting to get worn away over time. They also brought in railroad kit houses to make a, a church in Fairplay that is still standing, and they were a great and they were a great powerhouse. And, and then in the history of that, um, in that history, then in like then that the railroads declined, the silver prices broke. They took the last rails out in like 1937, I think, and the little town of Como became a uh, became a ghost town. And as we, as I've been a kid, I, my folks bought a place here in 1966 when I was a couple years old. So I remember from like the seventies, buildings would fall down and the neighbors would all get together and we would cut them up for scrap and burn them in our wood stoves. Um, other people would, you know, use the wood for rebuilding earlier in the, in the depression, a lot of the buildings in Como were uh, disassembled and reused for other buildings. The bricks were taken. A lot of the timbers for second-story houses were taken. But the uh, roundhouse still existed. And when I was a kid, it was the best place to play hide-and-seek. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> folks would send us down there, and we would be able to see the old uh, the old. Uh, basement pits for the employee housing we could wander all around the roundhouse cows were in there everyone was in there and it was truly dilapidated and when i first went in there after after the rails moved out cooley gravel company came in and they dredged the terriol and we had some old friends of ours who worked for the terriol but cooley gravel used to keep their records and use the roundhouse for some of that so as a kid i would nose around through all the junk down there. And I found a bunch of Cooley gravel pay stubs and records of that. And I found pay stubs with the name of this old grandfather figure that I had met, um, Carl Ewell with the Ewell cabin. He used to still be on the maps. He used to be a miner that came up. And I found his pay stubs. And then for a while there, Cooley, uh, there was a sawmill in the uh, roundhouse. And as a little kid, there would be cows and a sawmill going. And the remains of the sawmill were there, and I was four or five feet tall, and the pile of sawdust was above me, and they just left the entire sawmill and all the dust in there, and it was a uh, it was still a wreck. And then, uh, must have been around the 80s, a great man named Bill Kazel came in. He was a miner and loved history himself, and he purchased the uh, roundhouse property. And he set to work on it. And then in the middle of the 90s, one of the best things that ever happened to the Roundhouse, Bill Kazel hired an ornery old mason from the Midwest to come out. And he uh, cleaned up and tuck pointed and cut and did a really beautiful job. Uh, it took him probably near a decade. The All the stonework of the Roundhouse. And he set that up. And that man liked to work all day and drink Pap's Blue Ribbon all day. And he had a great, big, long beard. And at one point in time, they were setting the final roof beams in the new cradles that he had to, uh, he had to you know, work out and make a masonry, a masonry uh, bed for them to sit in on the roof. They laid a roof beam in, and he had his face in there close to make sure it was fit. And they pinched his beard between oh. the beam and the building. <laughs> And then a rather large bike, because <laughs> the crowd 
operators like the 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 uh, beams in place. I, I don't want to move it again. You can cut your beard. And uh, the mason was like, "No, you're gonna. I my beard is my pride. You're gonna lift this beam, and I'm keeping my beard." I don't exactly <laughs> worked out. I think he may have had to trim his beard, but he did a great job doing that, getting the uh, walls done, and then Kazel also did a roof. He did some other stuff, and then his interest sort of changed, and he left the picture. I'm not. I don't know all the exact details. And then, sure, go ahead. Oh, no. It, I'm just telling Forrest, we've got about five minutes left on this half. Well, well and let's say back from the caboose point of view, well, you know, we don't have to do all this in two segments. We can do a third segment, which we sometimes have done, and which you, you never know. But uh, anyway, we can, but we, we in, the, in this segment, at least, we've at least hit the major historic points. But now as you, as a kid, this must have been pretty exciting for you to be around Como, to uh, go over the other side to Breckenridge to, and so on. And I, did you love it? I bet you just loved it. Um, I really, I really did. It was a great, great place to grow up as a kid and, uh, and, and to see it change and, and to slowly evolve. And it was always just an abandoned building down there until sort of the Kazel started with the dream and then the Brantigan family came in and continued with the dream of restoring the Como roundhouse. And what made the most to me in a quick recap for this section would be when they first had some guys with a steam whistle without anything else. And we could hear a steam whistle. That was a real ghost from the past coming. And then after that, when there was actually a, locomotive that would steam up and you could see it and a plume of smoke uh my world had really changed because i had never ever thought in my lifetime i would see a locomotive operating out of the roundhouse it's pretty exciting and be, be well lest we forget <clears throat> you have a you're a part of an organization that's not just working on the roundhouse it's working on the old hotel there it's working, uh, might even lay a little more track, possibly. We don't know, but it certainly has good track from the roundhouse to the hotel. Um, let's see. They've, um, done a job of, they've done a fantastic job of restoring the Como Depot with, uh, with a lot of the original stuff in it. And you can see where you would buy tickets, where the conductor was, where all the freight was. That entire building has been restored to its original glory and has been stabilized and is uh, has been a, is a great crown in what they have done. And they're starting to save a lot of this great history. It's great. And and, and as recently as certainly in my time, we've, we used to eat uh, there in the, uh, the old hotel and the, the eating house. And... Um, People would stay overnight. I don't. I don't have a sense that. Do you do any any gossip about that? Are they talking about reopening at some time? Or? Yes, it's it's gone through some lulls. It's a it's a incredible challenge to run a business up here in uh, Park County. Uh, summertime is fantastic. Summertime, Como is a ghost town. One in four houses are probably capable of being lived in in the summertime there might be 30 people here 
And come the second week of February, there might be 12 full-time residents. Because <laughs> it's different, it's a different animal. So you've got <laughs> the summer rush, you've got the leaf peepers for the beautiful fall foliage. Then you have a little bit of hunting. And then um, the business sort of dries up and it's sort of weekend driven driven. So it's just tough to have the to run a, a restaurant or a business and keep supply and everything stocked and with this changing demand and with employees and all the other greater challenges, it's, it's a challenge, but there's a lot of good ideas floating around on how to, um, to operate that as a hotel and a restaurant again, maybe you would want to get in some, um, a cooking school and have uh, some people cut their teeth on that along with, with, uh, hospitality as, as a training ground that might work. There's, they're floating, there's a lot of good ideas floating around in a, and, there is a move to sort of consolidate all the properties and, and a lot of people are planning on a great way to make this viable, important and, and allow people to really see the way it was back then. And that's what I sense a lot when people get here, the views are fantastic. They're out in the open and it really brings you back in time. Oh, that's so exciting. It really is. Well, here we are in the caboose chatting uh, on the rails at the KHEN as we do. And of course, you've got four years of these podcasts if you want to go back and listen to a lot of a lot of discussion. And but how really, really fun it is today, because to have somebody like this who grew up really playing in the roundhouse, uh, playing up here uh, all those years. Listen, let's say goodbye for now. Let's roll the, the caboose down the line, but we'll be back. We'll be back next uh, next week with with another segment. So, um, any any last words for this <laughs> this first segment that we ought to we ought to leave with here before we we roll on? Because believe it or not, some people we we even miss some people coming back the next time. So it's so nice to have Andrew Zimmerman here with us, who's been a part of this history. And that's it. Okay. All right. Thank you. Let's say, let's just yell out a highball. We'll roll the caboose down and uh, we'll all take a little break here. On the count of three, we'll do a highball. One, two, three. Highball! Oh. Highball! 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 Cahan is supported in part by. Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. K-Hen and Little Red Hen – Just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida.